an ironic media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. Hey, y'all, I'm Bevan. And I'm Brittany. Welcome to Be My Neighbor. Our neighborly duties are to provide real-life solutions and practices that elevate and inspire, but also remind us to not take it all too seriously. We're real-life neighbors that quickly learn that you simply cannot do it on your own, living in a competitive and fast-paced environment like New York City. Each week, we invite you into the apartment along with our metaphorical and literal neighbors to share advice on how we get through this thing called life. We don't just share the sugar. We serve up the real tea. From navigating relationships to building a career, we want you to recognize and embrace the best version of you. We want you to know that your crazy is okay. And that you're definitely not alone. Our door is always open. And we want you to know, we've We've got got your back. back. Over the past few weeks, like the rest of the world, I have been on a deep dive into all of the drama surrounding the F-Factor diet and All In by Teddy Mellencamp. A little background on how this all started, an influencer, Emily Gellis, had received some notifications about the F-Factor diet and merely just reposted them. And then all of a sudden, she sort of became that person who kept getting all these stories. She was like, she was that person. So I couldn't get enough. I told B right away. I was like, Bevan, have you What kind of stories? A lot of these women that have been taking the F-Factor products, mainly their powders and their bars, had started breaking out in rashes, hives, having severe gastrointestinal issues, GI, bladder, all of that stuff, and having to go to the emergency room as a result. So I am being the Aaron Brockovich psycho that I am, <laughs> was like, oh my God, Bevan, you got to get into it. She's like, all right, Brittany, I don't really care that much. I'm like, no, no, you have to, un- you have to get into it. But that's a little bit of background, which we will get into in a minute. But the real reason why we wanted to do this podcast today was to address this and really to address this in the right way. So we had to call in a real expert, Dr. Jamie Shear. Dr. Jamie is a nationally recognized expert in integrative medicine and nutrition and holds dual licenses as a naturopathic physician and registered dietitian, making her one of the few practitioners in the country with both. As seen in shape, lives strong, and mind body green, she also works intimately with patients and their primary care physicians to help them understand, identify, and manage their health. While we have truly loved her from the start, Dr. Jamie's philosophy centers around the fact that health and wellness is highly individualized, and what works for you does not work for all. She really works intimately with her clients to understand their own needs and provide personalized care to them. I had the pleasure of working with Jamie and her company, XFit Lab, which does research-based athletic engineering a few years back. Jamie worked with our team at SoulCycle to develop a high-intensity interval training workout on a bike. Beyond Jamie's knowledge, I think her real gift is her ability to relay this incredibly scientific and complicated knowledge to laymen like me in a way I could really understand and use. We are so lucky to have this powerhouse woman with us today. Jamie, welcome to Be My Neighbor. Thank you so much. I'm actually really looking forward to this. I woke up this morning. I was like, this is going to be a fun one. I'm really looking forward to this. We hope yeah. so. We we think we're fun, but we might be a little biased. <laughs> we were so amped, though. We had a, a preliminary call with Jamie on Friday, and we normally get off them. We're like, all right, all right. We were like, wow, this is going to be so great. We've been wanting to address this for a while, not only because of our own issues, stigmas, things we've grown up with our whole lives, with our body dysmorphias, gymnastics, cheerleading family, all that plays into everything. But yeah, just to really get a sense right now, we're all living in this quarantine period and been eating different things, maybe not eating normally. So just to have you here with us, it feels like a calming presence. (laughs) (laughs) Brittany had to reel me in because I was like, I want Dr. Jamie to just fix all my problems. Maybe we can use this hour for my own personal growth. (laughs) That's what I say to my own therapist. I'm like, "Uh, here's what we need to fix. (laughs) She's like, and the bill is... (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's jump right in. We know that currently Mm F-Factor is receiving a great deal of backlash over their bars and powders which have caused serious allergic reactions, stomach issues. And then in addition, we do know several people that have done All In by Teddy Mellencamp Mm -hmm. and then have mixed responses to the program. Some love it, some hate it. From your perspective, 
when you see these diets being heavily followed, what is your response? It's a big question. I have a lot of response. So let's actually separate them to start in different ways. The F factor is receiving a lot of negative attention and press right now for two reasons. One, because there's definitely been some pretty significant and severe reactions for people from skin to gut, IBD, IBS, it's inflammatory bowel disease, and really bad stomach and GI complaints. Some people have ended up in the hospital. Some people end up with some pretty debilitating side effects of the powder, and I can talk to why. So that's one aspect of the pushback from the F factor. The other is, I think, the bigger issue, not any less or more important, but bigger issue in regards to global scale, which is going to pull in the Teddy Mellencamp all-in program. And that is the concept of restrictive, disordered, diet-like programs that really promote this idea that you can only be healthy if you are incredibly thin, if you fit in a certain box, that if you eat a certain type of foods, you're automatically bad, you're going to fail at it. Like there's this push and it's perpetuated in the media, social media and diet culture world, which is promoting this idea of extreme dieting. And both the X factor and Teddy Mellencamp's plans, really both of they did that. They pushed an extreme diet concept that A, is unsustainable, and B, is tremendously unhealthy. So kind of that's where I start. Now, in regards to the F factor, there's two other big things happening here. The F factor was actually created by somebody who is licensed, right? Right. Now we have Tanya Zuckerboot, who is fairly well known in the RD world for creating this F factor diet. But it was sort of the creation of the product around it that moved her a little bit away from the nutrition world and into more of the media media side of it. Now, what she uses in her powder, she uses a whey protein and she uses something called partially hydrolyzed guar gum. Okay, so just so everybody knows, this is a type of fiber that she's pushing, like just eat this, eat this, eat this fiber. The problem is partially hydrolyzed guar gum, which is a prebiotic fiber, is used in very, very small amounts therapeutically for some people with severe stomach issues. And when I say very small, I'm talking about like a half a gram to maybe five grams a day at most under medical supervision. Her powder has 20 plus grams. Oh, shit. And people use it multiple times a day. So the idea that you could take a small therapeutic dose of something and just create so much of it into that one powder is tremendously problematic for our gut. So right there, it's a bad idea. It's just a bad idea. Now, there's a lot of pushback around like what's in it and is it metals and is it toxins? I actually think it's just straight up the fact that she's completely incorrectly using this fiber, which our bodies cannot handle at that dose. What does the fiber do for your body? What's the positive effect of this guar gum? Well, at that dose, absolutely nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at a very, very, very small dose, again, like maybe two grams, Mm -hmm. we're thinking of it as a prebiotic fiber, which helps the probiotics in our gut grow. But you have to be a certain type of person with certain conditions for that to be beneficial. Where do we really get fiber from? Our fruits and our vegetables and our grains. Right. What are you not allowed to eat on the F factor? Fruits, fruits and grains and too many vegetables. Right. So the idea that you should not eat these incredibly healthy foods, but instead take it in this crazy powder that's made in China and not even made here in the U.S. and then sold here without any recognition of what's in it summarizes what's wrong with everything here. Yeah. The whole idea that that we're focused on being very thin and not sustaining and nourishing our body in the way that it was intended to be nourished. Correct. And I almost drank that Kool-Aid. I was telling you on Friday. (laughs) She really did. And I can't believe I even, I have never done any diets. I have never, I'm very, with supplements, things like that. I've always gone to the more natural side of things. I, I just have never, I just, I feel that a lot of that is fake. So if I'm gonna take my metabolism and mess with it, when I get off of that stuff, what's gonna happen? But- I had gained weight with my first baby. I really wanted to snap right back and be that body I knew. So I was like, wow, this diet, you can drink something I love to do (laughs) that has been pulled out. 
You can eat pasta, all the things that I enjoy. And I almost drank the Kool-Aid. I even told my mom about it. And then I was like, I couldn't believe that I thought like that. I, I bought into it almost. And even some of the doctored images that you've seen from the, you know, and please, I know we're going to get people that are going to come after us because of this. I know they're like diehard F-Factor fans, but come at me. I, yeah, <laughs> right. But I was one of those people that almost fell into that trap and can understand maybe why so many others could do it too, even though I was never into any of this stuff. Like I, I was in the middle of quarantine. I was a little bit heavier than usual. But this is what Dr. Jamie was talking about, the big issue, exactly. right, Jamie? Well, listen, there's an old saying, we've all heard it, you know, if you say the right thing and show it in the right way, you can sell water to a well, right? Like the ability to collect the mass attention and to promote it in a way that people feel like they need it and they want it. And it's the only thing that's going to make them better or different or healthier or whatever it is. That's the underlying question there is the genius behind so many of these brands. They're selling a brand. They're creating something that's going to sell based on the insecurities of ourselves or what's trending or what we're trying to achieve. And listen, that's everywhere in the world. That's car sales. That's everything except where it's intersecting now is that we're starting to look at the way we feel and how we, and how we look from a, um, an image perspective versus a health perspective. Mm-hmm. And we're making decisions that are the brand can connect to rather than making decisions that are going to service us in the right way. And you said something interesting, which I don't know if you meant to say it in that, in what you were just describing, which was, well, I just had my first baby and I was on that. Like I got to bounce back really quick. Right. And it's like, well, let's stop there for a second. Totally. Because where did that come from? Mm -hmm. If there was no social media, would you have needed to bounce back as quickly or If you weren't in the context of being thinner or skinnier or whatever the the perception is there is better, would that have crossed your mind? And so I always go back to that. So why is the need to bounce back so quickly so important? I think for me personally, growing up in a gymnastics environment, I literally wore a belly band to school to make sure that my stomach didn't go over my pants because that's was how my coaches that not that they were crazy. They weren't the Carolis, but legit they were. It was like, you know, that was the practice that we had. And I was trying to be an elite gymnast. Like that's where I was going in my life. I wanted to be in the Olympics. So for me, I always went by how my clothes fit. But that never stopped me from eating. <laughs> Bevan can attest to that, that I love to eat so much. It just is a psyche that I've always had a part of my life that I feel better about myself when my clothes fit a certain way. I feel better about myself when I can look at myself in the mirror and like my body. Has it always been like I'm obsessed with my body and love it? No, quite honestly. Show me a human who has. Yeah, Correct. exactly. I'm like, oh, but but that, but hey, I've grown to love my legs. I've grown to love my butt and my calves, all the things that maybe messed with me when I was younger. But I do agree that the social media aspect probably did play a role because I could not fit into. I was fitting into them, the clothes that I was normally wearing. But in videos, I was seeing a little bit of a. Yeah a belly. I was seeing things that I was not used to seeing and it, and it messed with me. I like told them and I was like, Oh, I don't really like this video that's out there, but it's out there now. And, and I'm going to challenge you on that front because, and I've done this too. I mean, I've birthed two kids and, and gone through my own things as a gymnast. And I guess the challenge that I, what I was going to say is like, imagine you were talking to Babin or anyone else, you to that person would be like, girl, you just had a baby. Like, embrace it. Look what you brought, you know, like we can give it to other people in a way that we can't give it to ourselves. And that comes from our deeper woven patterns, which you literally just identified here as being a gymnast, right? So it's your pattern and it fit right in. And guess what matched that pattern? This idea of here's a diet and I can drink alcohol and I can have a little like five noodles of pasta and it's full of fiber and it's going to be that thing that gets me back. Right. And so Every human is susceptible. Every human is susceptible to being drawn in. We're all going to be drawn into different things, but why are there 
these crazy Netflix stories about these cults that the actresses are branded on? And why are there these motivational speakers who get you to turn over a hundred thousand dollars in two minutes? Like, because we are all susceptible if we hit into our insecurities in the right way. And Tanya and Teddy did that. They took every woman out there who wanted to be thin and wealthy. They defined that as successful and they created something. You can have what I have. If you eat these things, you'll be thin and you'll be wealthy. And that is what they did. So you have two gorgeous little girls um, that Brittany and I spent a lot of time stalking. And they're really fun. They're incredible. My question to you is, how do you protect them in a culture like this where we are all so susceptible to this and it still is kind of a, a currency is how small, how rich, you know, <laughs> all these things can you be? It's a really hard question. Um, and I think it's a vulnerable one because I don't know the answers because... I don't know that we ever know them ahead of time. But what I do know is that we have to lead by example. So the way that I can teach them versus protect them is to be able to show them both sides of what it looks like to try and be healthy versus what it looks like to need to chase something that's not within myself. And so I don't know that I have the answer there. But what I do think about is what is the image that I put out? Mm. What are the things that, right? Like if you look at my Instagram all of the diet culture world is going to come back and say, well, you're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing. You're putting out, you know, pictures of somebody who is stronger or thinner. And so how is that any different? And I think it has to be more than just how we look, but how we speak. So for me personally, I'm very, very conscious of making sure that when I speak, it's in a context of the things that are individually important and healthy, right? So what is healthy to you? What is important to you? What is the, the your own goal? Don't say you want to look like me. And I shouldn't say I want to look like Bevan and Bevan shouldn't say she want to look like Brittany and Brittany shouldn't say she want to look like Beyonce because what happens is we're all just taking ourselves out of the equation. And so for my, my little girls, what I do is I sort of help them embrace who they are. We talk a lot about healthy foods and they eat Cheez-Its and they eat spinach and they eat mini muffins and they eat peppers. And so there is no good and bad. There's no wrong and like right food and wrong food. It's what are you eating it for? When are you eating it? And where are we going? Are you going to soccer mm. practice or, you know, so I don't know that there's a right or wrong. I think everything I do in the world, I sort of, especially now with children, I sort of think of it in the context of what is the message that I'm giving off and what can I teach them? Right. Like one of my daughters said to me, mommy, why do you always have to wear makeup when you go out? How come you just can't ever go out without makeup? And I was like, okay, this is a teaching moment. Yeah. And I, and so I just said, I was like, well, her name is Lana. I said, Lana, I don't need to, but I enjoy it. And it's something that makes me feel good. And sometimes I don't feel like it and I won't versus like trying to create this, like I needed to look a certain way. So I think it's hard. Yeah. It's a really <sighs> difficult thing. When you have clients that come to you and they immediately go, I want to lose 10 pounds. Where do you begin with them? Yeah. When a new client comes to you that immediately says, you know, Dr. Jamie, I want to lose 10 pounds. I need to shed this weight. How do you begin the process with them? Well, I think the first thing is to validate how somebody feels, because that's what happens when we go to a lot of doctor's offices. We say what we're feeling or what we need or what we want, and we're met with what they think we should do, right? And anytime you take what somebody is opening up to you about and you don't validate it, you're going to lose the relationship almost immediately. So if someone comes to me and says, I want to lose 10 pounds, the last thing in the world I'm going to do is say, well, that's silly. You shouldn't lose 10 pounds or, oh, well, you should lose 20 pounds or any of that. It's not, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to help understand why. And then if it's appropriate, how to do it the right way. So the why behind it is the most important answer I can get. Why do you want to lose 10 pounds? I've always been 10 pounds lighter. It's where I felt my best. I might've gained 10 pounds in quarantine. And now I just want to go back to what is my normal weight and what makes me feel best. Great. I have no judgment there. I'm not here to tell you that that's good or bad. As long as it's in a healthy way, let's do this. Right. If they say, well, I want to lose 10 pounds because I want to look like so-and-so it's like, Hey, well, you're never gonna look like so-and-so. So, you know, what is it for you? And I, I think one of my favorite quotes or favorite sayings to people is abs are overrated because <laughs> everybody comes to me and they're beautiful. And they're like, I need to lose 10 pounds. I'm like, why? They're like, because I can't see my abs. I want to be able to see my abs or I want to look like so-and-so. Do you see their abs? Their stomach is silly. And I'm like, but you look fantastic. Like, but I don't see my abs. And there's this weird social media driven idea that fitness 
a long time ago, it used to be, you have to be a runner to be fit. So yeah. it was the, the idea. And now it's like the definition of fit is that you have a very, very lean abdomen. So I talk a lot around the genetics behind that and where that really is coming from and self-sabotage and understanding our why and things like that. I mean, it's so interesting to me that all these people, and look, as someone who really spent their 20s trying hard to restrict their diet, over-exercise, and I saw the personal effects of that. And you don't ever take that sort of restrictive approach with anything that you do. So what do you say to someone who's kind of stepping into that restrictive diet at this point? How do you reel them back in and give them something to really start with that's sustainable? Well, I mean, the first thing I think about is who they are and where they are in their life, right? Like just by the nature of my practice, a lot of the people that I work with are pulled into the fitness world. They either work in the fitness industry, they're interested in the fitness industry, or they're not in it, but they are the consumer of it. And that's a really challenging space because the people that lead us in the fitness world are the prettiest and the most in shape and the, you know, and understandably, because again, it sort of goes back to this carousel ride of what we as consumer look for and what we want to look like. And so it's very hard to change that. And I get it, Bevan, we met at SoulCycle. I've had so many SoulCycle instructors come and work with me because they want to look leaner or look stronger and they look amazing. Yeah. And it's not just SoulCycle, whether it's berries or whether it's Peloton or whether it's Rumble, it doesn't matter. It starts at the top, right? We, we promote this idea of like, you know, you're strong, you're beautiful, embrace yourself, but we get off the bike, we get off the tread, we get off the floor. And we all as humans deal with our own insecurities. And I don't think that there's enough vulnerability in the world to say, now they're starting to be, but I don't think there's enough vulnerability in the world to say, yeah, I struggle too, other than I struggled, but I overcame, right? Mm -hmm. Teddy Mellencamp will be like, I had an eating disorder, but I overcame it. Did you? Because you're pushing a 500 calorie diet and telling people that they shouldn't eat. So did you overcome it or did you transfer it onto the people that you're now selling it to? And where do I start is sort of in this idea of balance. Like, can we get you off the carousel ride? And I use that analogy all the time to people. I'll say, listen, you can continue to go from diet to diet to diet and you'll be successful and then you won't. And then you'll be successful and then you won't. And you're burnout. And some days you're going to feel great. And other days you're going to feel terrible. I'm not your person. I'm not going to be the person that can help you because I'm not interested in the carousel ride. So do you want to get off the ride with me? It means you're not going to feel good every day. It means some days you're going to look in the mirror and feel like a superstar. And other days you're going to look in the mirror and think that you're disgusting. And guess what? That makes you normal. Can we feel that? Can we feel what we feel in the moment and not try to change it every second of every day? Because if we can feel it, we can embrace it. We can understand it and we can change it. So like, can you eat pasta? Yes. Can you eat pasta every single day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and still come up and tell me that you want to lose 10 pounds and feel healthier? No, there's a balance. I love that topic of balance. And it's something that we did talk about last week too. And like you said, it differs on a case-by-case basis. In terms of your world, when you say balance, and I appreciate that you say the eat the pasta because I'm, I'm eat the pasta. <laughs> like I've always been eat the pasta. How do you define that balance in terms of health? I use this quote a lot. You can't let your diet get in the way of your life, but you also can't let life get in the way of your diet. Mm. You can't stop going out to dinner with your friends because you're worried about what you're going to eat at the restaurant. You can't not have a birthday party because you don't want there to be birthday cake because you're afraid that you'll eat the whole thing. You can't make decisions that are going to decrease the quality of life that you live because you're worried about what it's going to do to your weight. But at the same time, you can't go through every day pretending that the quality of the food that you eat doesn't matter in the bigger scale of things from brain health to skin health to cardiovascular and, and weight. So the balance is, are you able to say, I ate the foods that are best for my body and that's how I nourished myself today. And also I had chocolate for dessert. Like everyone's is a little bit different. And my people will always joke with me, like I eat ice cream every single day of my life. I'm not kidding you. I eat ice cream every single day is the way I finish my day. I finish dinner and I have ice cream and it's this one scoop of ice cream. That's wow. it. It's just one little, it's not even like a scoop. It's like a little cup. <laughs> I just need it and it makes me feel good. And it's a tiny bit sweet and it's not a lot and I'm good. I'm done. Not everybody has the, I'd rather have some than none. Some people are like, well, if the ice cream is in the house, I'm eating the whole damn thing. <laughs> that person has to understand that that's who they are. 
And so ice cream is not the thing to have there for that person. A really rich, dark chocolate that they like but don't love might be the better thing for them. So when I work with people, we start to pay attention to who are you? What are the things that you love? What are the things that you need? And what are those things that are triggers for you? So it's interesting because I think we might have talked about this on the phone a little bit. You know, the intuitive eating world or the no diet culture world wants to tell you that there's no such thing as a healthy food and an unhealthy food and eat all the bread that you want to eat and eat all the pasta that you want to eat. And it's when you start thinking of food as good and bad and restrictive that there's a problem. And that to me is the equivalent of, I'm probably going to get in trouble by that world for saying this, that to me is the equivalent of then all alcohol is bad and nobody should ever have a single drink because you're an alcoholic if you have a drink. And it's like, I can say that eating pasta is okay and eating too much pasta is bad without being somebody that has an eating disorder. The same way I can have a drink without being an alcoholic, but we're so entwined in this. If you think about food in any other way than just it's all fine, that you're perpetuating diet culture. And I think we have to be careful about that. I think it's just as destructive. That really resonates with me. I obviously have struggled a bit in my lifetime with restrictive eating and being on camera, I always wanted to be so much thinner and something that was unrealistic for my body type. I was 100% sure that I'd gotten it all under control. It was all over when I started teaching SoulCycle. But I look now in the midst of quarantine, I can look back and it seems to me that a bit of my restrictive eating shifted in a way that I could justify because it was my job into over-exercising and Mm over-training. So when quarantine happened and that was taken away from me or when I was injured in the beginning of last year, it was like someone just pulled the rug out from underneath me. And I was like, shit, I thought I I got rid of all this stuff. Why is it all coming back up? And I've had to look at it in a really different way for the first time in my life, like as an adult, and thank God for growth. It feels a lot more manageable now. But it's interesting to me because I have a hard time telling myself I can't have something. So I need to know that I can have it, but I also can't keep it in my house. So I know this about myself. So I'm the person that has to go to the grocery store and get the smallest piece of rich, dark, dark chocolate that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. (laughs) It's not going to be the cake I have on my birthday that I'm going to eat for three days straight, but then I have to throw it away because I know what's going to happen. It all comes from young. It comes from when we were younger. It comes from the perspective that we had on either control or lack of, or how good we felt about ourselves, or where we felt validated in the world, or where we felt nurtured. Why do people eat at night? Because it's when they're nurturing themselves, not because they're hungry. You finish dinner at six o'clock. You basically didn't eat anything all day because you were busy and working and starving. And then dinner at six o'clock and then nine o'clock, you're, you're full from dinner, but it's like, but I'm looking for something, right? Mm -hmm. Like where's, I need popcorn, I need ice cream, I need, and it's like everything quiets down and we start to nurture ourselves. And food is historically something that we nurture with. And so Bevan, to your point of always having this either over-exercising or over-restricting, it was a pattern that fit for you, a way that you could control things. And then of course it's perpetuated by the idea that you had to look a certain way on camera, which is so challenging. So hard. Actresses that I work with, And the athletes that I work with that are on camera, you have to have a level of empathy that is different there than you do working with somebody who's not on camera because of the industry. And it is your success and your money and your job are dependent upon that. No matter how effed up that is, it is the truth. And so we have to have a little bit of empathy in there and understand what the, what the threshold is. But at the end of the day, like if we pay attention to our patterns, like people will say, well, how come you don't have, you know, issues with eating or how come like I was a born and raised a gymnast and did train with Caroli and did have, you know, a serious career and did come out unscathed in the eating world, although very interested in it because of everything that I saw. But if I'm being completely transparent, it's because my need was for control And I had such a tumultuous home life that being in the gym was an escape and it was a positive thing. So food to being being able to control it was a positive experience for me because at home it wasn't Mm. right. And so we always sort of look at our childhood and look at our patterns and understand how we develop from them. So when I'm working with people, we talk about these things. 
when did this start? What were you, where were you in that phase of your life that you became obsessed with food or started overtraining or, you know, got these ideas? I, the people that do Teddy Mellencamp's program, the ones that love it, they're not loving it because they love eating 500 calories and being told that they're a failure if they don't follow it. That's because it's connecting to a way that they feel familiar. Oh, and the ones that I've heard that have loved it, they like seeing some of the progress and they've needed someone to keep them accountable. I guess you could say it's like when you do have a maybe that coach, because some people do thrive on that push and thrive on someone that monitors exactly what you're doing. And Bevan and I would lose very quickly in that game because we yeah, really I mean, know but, things, <laughs> you know, Teddy's program. I'm just going to be completely transparent. If your accountability is what you need, find it somewhere else. I mean, I don't even think hers is available anymore. Thank you. Uh, but if accountability is what you need, find it in someone that's actually trained and healthy because hers was wildly abusive. And I also recommended that program to other people not knowing all the things. I brought it up to Bevan. I was like a friend of mine who's really looking to lose weight. She's gained a lot of weight that she's very upset about, talks about all the time. And I was like, you know, my other friend did this program and she really likes it. And then I'm like, oh my God. I went back to her. I'm like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Don't listen to me. It's important to distinguish though, like I don't ever want anyone to think that I think wanting to lose weight is a bad thing. It is our right as women, as humans to say, I would feel better if I lost 10 pounds. I would like to be 10, but like, I do not throw judgment to that, which is being, which is happening in the diet world right now. Like if you want to lose weight, like you're, you're bad. Uh, I don't agree. I think we have a right to say, I want to lose weight. If someone comes to you though, and to the exterior. I mean, like when I look at Bevan, I think she's a pinnacle of gorgeousness, perfection, body wise, everything. She has boobs, you know, (laughs) like I'm like, okay. So for me, and I know her in and out literally, but like, I could see how people sitting on the bikes, watching her could see and consider her perfection too. And then when someone, you know, like her, that Maybe she says, I would like to work on certain areas of my body that are tough for me. When someone like that comes into your office and you and you know they're already very tiny, how do you process that? Is it more working with them, all of their inner stuff? And B, I'm not just using, I'm just used to it. You can use me. Like, okay. And they say, I want to lose extra weight. Is that hard for you to say, wow, I don't, where, where, where in your boobs? Like, where do you lose that extra weight? Is that tough for you to, to discern from all of those clients as well? No, it's not hard for me because I think it goes back to what I said in the beginning, which is I am here to understand and validate what somebody is looking for. So if we stay on Bevan, because it's the example that you gave and it's a good one. If Bevan came to me and said, like, I just don't feel good in my body and I want to lose weight, I would help Bevan understand that weight is just a number. It's just a a pure number that we use to make ourselves feel like like success or failure, Mm -hmm. but feeling good in yourself is not actually a number on the scale. So let's let's get a little bit deeper. Like what doesn't feel good and why doesn't it feel good? And let's understand it. If it's because you want your legs to look different, then maybe we want to think about strengthening. Maybe we want to think about, you know, a strengthening program that's going to get you to feel stronger. But if it's focused on weight, and they're already at a weight that is healthy and then we shouldn't break that. The conversation have to, has to switch to, you actually don't feel the number. You're feeling connected to it. And what does that mean on a deeper level? Ooh. Do you believe in owning a scale versus not owning a scale? Because I know scales really can mess with people's heads. Bevan knows I am not a huge fan of the scale because I trick so many people so many times they think they know my weight and they think, and they're like, what, you weigh that much? You know, like it's meaning that I weigh more than they think that I weigh because I know muscle weighs more than fat. Like I know how my body is built, Mm -hmm. but what are your thoughts when it comes to owning that scale? I think it depends on the person, right? For you, I'd say scale is probably not a good idea because it's not reinforcing something positive. Mm -hmm. And for other people getting on a scale once a week or once a month feels like checking their bank account once a week or once a month. It's a way that they are accountable and aware, but it's not changing their mood. If you get off the scale and you're in a bad mood, if you get off the scale and you feel like a failure, if you feel negative, you feel depressed, but then no, the scale is not for you. You know, there's this very popular diet program right now called Noom. 
it's exploding everywhere and they are not entirely transparent about their numbers, which is an interesting aspect of what they're claiming as success. But nonetheless, Zoom makes every person weigh themselves every single day because that is the only way that you're going to be accountable to this plan is if you weigh yourself every day. I think that's damaging. I don't think that's healthy. But then I've met people who are on Zoom, mostly men, not women. And they're like, you know, it's kind of cool to weigh myself every day. And then I'm just reminded that I got to eat healthy and I keep on going. And so again, it goes back to this idea of like, if I was ever writing a book and the chapter of the scale came up, it would say, here's the scale. Are you person A, B, or C? If you're person A, get rid of the scale. If you're B, we need a scale budget. If you're C, scale is going to benefit you. Because if we all try to be like each other, there's a much bigger issue. We're yeah. in order to meet, you know, a much bigger problem. So right. it all goes back to this idea of like, and I think this is why social media is making our world so much more terrible than it should be is because we stop thinking about how we feel and we start thinking about how we think we should feel based on the other people we're seeing. Yes. So comparative. Yeah. It's really, really tough. And in terms of like people being on camera and being a fitness professional and all this stuff, I feel like the thing that has been my saving grace through every twist and turn of this journey has been, I want to live and be the example, compassionate example for the people that I train and the people that I care about. So I know that I can't sit up there and say, love yourself, love your body, just be compassionate. You just had a baby. Congratulations. I know I can't see that until I start actually trying to practice what I preach. And throughout quarantine, I really have found a way, and I think it's dealing with psychological old issues, to be much more compassionate and generous with myself in terms of an idea of what I looked like or what I looked like when I was training four times a day. Like it's just, it's not sustainable for my lifestyle anymore. And so there's a new version of me and a little bit more skin and here we are. But that new version doesn't have to feel great every single day. Exactly. That new version is allowed to wake up some days and be like, damn, I hate all this extra skin. (laughs) So I don't hate it and I'm going to embrace it and I'm allowed to hate it for a minute and move on. This idea of like body positivity where we have to be positive in every moment of every day is bullshit. It's bullshit. We all feel like shit sometimes. Yes. It's that we don't want to act on either side of the pendulum swing. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be happy all the time and you can't act on the, the alternate of that either. So this embrace yourself, love yourself every moment. Like, no, yes, love yourself. But that doesn't mean you have to be happy with the way you look every single minute. doesn't mean you have to be happy with the way you feel. Like, again, it goes back to this fake idea that everything is so perfect. And I, without calling out like people, and Bevan is not the example here, I promise. (laughs) um, There are so many trainers that are clients of mine, fitness instructors who come and sit on my couch because they don't feel good in their body even though they have tens of thousands of followers who would pay anything to look like them. Right. They're sitting on my couch saying the same thing that the person following them is because we're all in this together. Right. I love that you said we're entering into a new, I hope we are entering into a new area of vulnerability because isn't that the only way we can really start to heal and connect and just be honest with each other. Yeah. We also have to stop polarizing our ideas and social media does that, right? Like that everyone is going to look like, looks like this if they do the Teddy Mellencamp program, like actually that's not true at all. No way. Um, But social media thinks that if you look at Teddy Mellencamp program, the ones they promote are the ones who were so successful, these before and after, like it's this idea that like you can only look like that if you do that. And that takes out vulnerability and it takes out failure and success. And it just sort of creates this one way. So it's an interesting time. I think there's a lot of people that are in a lot of pain around this idea of needing to look a certain way and never feeling that they can look that way. Breaks my heart. That's sad. How do we solve that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, we start separating the way we look from the way we feel as far as our value and our worth. You are not worth more or less based on the size of your body or the shape of your body. You are allowed to want to change it for your own perspective, but not because it will make you more or less valuable or important or nurtured or loved in this world. Right. And it's okay to say, I like you mentioned before, it's okay to say you do want to work on some of these things because I, I can go back to just myself as an example. 
I do feel better when I am nourishing my body and when I am getting those endorphins. I just function better as a human, quite simply. I know also when I I love to eat crap too, but I I know sometimes like at the end of the day, I love it, but then you know, I it's not gonna get me to where I necessarily want to go. Sure. And also though, like if I'm working with Brittany and she's like, I want to lose 10 pounds. That doesn't mean that you should get fibers and bars and pills and just do that all day long. But it does mean if you're grabbing your kids goldfish four times a day and if you're skipping the vegetables on your plate because you don't have time to make them and you just grabbed a roll or a muffin, I will come in and say there are better choices that we could make that are going to support your desire to lose weight that are healthy. That doesn't make you wrong for wanting to lose weight. It's also not going to say, okay, Brittany, stop eating real food and just start eating pills and powders and potions. But instead it's like, but there are things that you're doing in your life that aren't, that aren't supporting what you say you want. Totally. On that note, on our call the other day, you mentioned that 50% of our diet should be vegetables. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you are as a human. I think you should eat 50% of your diet from vegetables. That means... 50% of the foods you eat are coming from plants that we know are healthy. And it's not because they're lower in calories because there are some that are not. And it's not because they're a diet food. It's because we know that they are the foods that are the highest in nutrient density. So in your vitamins and your minerals and your macronutrients, like nutrient density in plants far exceeds processed foods and other foods. I would argue every day that most plants have more nutrition in them than non-plants. Now I could say, well, protein's higher in red meat. And then say, of course, but that's one nutrient. Let's compare the list of nutrients in all of the other plants. And I'm being careful not to define plants has to be spinach leaves because it can be beans and it can be sweet potatoes and it can be vegetables and it can be fruits, which are not allowed on many diets. And so the idea that we have to eat 50% of our diet from plants that are not processed is something I put for every single human, whether you want to lose weight, gain weight, stay your weight, have IBS, deal with chronic migraines, have a thyroid issue, or your skin has acne. I don't care. 50% of what we build is going to be plants. What those plants look like will change for each person. But if you find yourself, you wake up in the morning and you have a shake with protein powder and you don't put any fruits or vegetables into it, it's just powder and almond milk. And then for lunch, you find yourself having like an RX bar. And then for dinner, you finally go home and you have like chicken and rice. And maybe there's some like peppers and onions in the chicken. You didn't eat 50% of your food from plants. So that's why I start with that across the board for every single human. You're going to feel undernourished, right? They might not feel undernourished. They'll probably are undernourished. But I mean, listen, I'm going to, I could take it out of weight for a second and talk about antioxidants and brain health and cancer and cardiovascular health. Like this is where, you know, Tanya's plan takes a lot of these things out and puts it in a powder, but those fibers and those nutrients from those very nutrient dense plants are actually essential for us to heal and to prevent disease. It's preventative medicine in, in a way. Why would any human need a diet that didn't have 50% from plants? I would argue that, I mean, I'm not talking about somebody who's critically ill on a tube feed in the hospital or that's a different scenario, but like an everyday human, I would want to know why they wouldn't need 50% of their day from plants. We had an amazing woman on our podcast a few weeks ago, Asha Walker, and she has this incredible company called Health in the Hood. And so she goes into communities that are underprivileged and she finds plots of lands and builds gardens for them, sustainable gardens and gets people in the neighborhood involved. So they are a piece of creating their own food for their community at the time that they're providing fresh fruits and vegetables for the entire How community. amazing is she? Oh she's, my gosh. She's awesome. You amazing. two should know each other. Yeah. <laughs> you need to connect you. <laughs> she's, but just the education factor alone in bringing those fruits and veggies mm-hmm. to communities that never had the access and, and making it a huge part of jobs and education. It's just, she's done a big thing. And that's like in promoting eating the real things, the real, real things that are going to make our bodies function. And then in long-term, like you said, health-wise, well, all the other stuff. It's a huge problem in this country that is tied into so many other things from socioeconomic disparities to political lobbying to governmental influence over our food culture. I mean, it's a whole nother disaster. (laughs) A whole separate podcast. We should have a panel with you and Asha on sometime to talk about this and promote that. Our food system is wildly broken. Yeah. 
sadly, um, and don't have the answer on how to fix that for sure. Yeah. But the problem. We had a question from a few of our neighbors knowing that you were coming on. And for those that are in quarantine, many of them are with their parents right now and they're eating what they would never normally eat, cooking that they would never normally have purely because as nicely as it is, (laughs) dinner's being cooked by their in-laws, by their parents. And it is quarantine eating with fried food, things that their stomachs are not used to. And they can't touch the kitchen because God forbid, like they come into the kitchen. It's like, you know, not their territory. We want to know what is your advice to our neighbors that are kind of going through this and, and just can't get the actual real food that they need, but have to eat this every night and their stomachs are getting messed up. And this question is the longest question I've ever asked. (laughs) I'd love to get that person on my couch because to that person, I'd be like, well, let me help me understand your definition of can't. What do you mean you can't get the foods that you need to be healthy? What does that mean? Because if you were anaphylactically allergic to shellfish, I would imagine that the person producing the food or preparing the food wouldn't put shellfish on the table because it wouldn't be for you. So what language are you using to this person preparing your food that you are failing to describe as important for your health and your well-being? And why do you feel like you can't? So what does that mean as an adult you can't? Does it mean you're going to offend your mother or your grandmother? And then the bigger question is, why are you not okay with being transparent and saying, I appreciate and I love how much you provide for me in this particular scenario? I do better if I have my broccoli or whatever it is. So really the underlying issue is why do they feel trapped? Why do they feel like they can't disappoint the person preparing the food? And why do they not have the authority within their own selves to use their voice to say, this is what I need, which is actually goes back to the bigger problem that we've been talking about this whole time, which is finding a way to really understand what we need as a human. So that is not actually an issue about food or quarantine. It's about not being able to survive in the patterned system of their family structure. Totally. Yeah. But it really exists. You know how hard it is to stand up to your mother-in-law. You know, you know, when I told my mom I wasn't eating meat anymore, you would have thought that I had like told her I didn't love her. She was like, I don't know how I'm supposed to cook for you. Right. It's it's hard. I think with the cooking and proximities and families being together, I do agree that it's you know to the root of the issue, but it's also really hard to say like, thank you so much for oh, making this food. Oh, I'm going to feel sick after I eat it every day. So I'm very direct, but that doesn't mean that the things I say are easy, right? Totally. So, you know, to Bevan's mother, I would word it in the context of, I'd say, mom, let me be clear. I wasn't saying that you can't eat meat. I was saying that I'm not going to. And I'm so happy to sit down at the table with you and share a meal with you and talk about our day. And it's not going to feel any less amazing and special if I'm having tofu and broccoli and you're having beef and broccoli, because I actually am not here for the food. I'm here for you. So it's like, you got to take it out of them thinking it's like this narcissistic way of, of not being able to prepare for you. Like, we have to let people know that we can meet our needs and we choose to have them in our life to lift us up, to make us, you know, to make us feel great, but that she's no longer responsible for providing that every need for you. Totally. My husband and I get made fun of all the time because we shop at Whole Foods and we go, we do a lot of natural stuff and our milk. So we get made fun of, but we take it because we're like, Yeah. yeah, we are Italian. We love all the fried stuff. We enjoy I'm Italian, but we enjoy all of that, but not every day because I will, my stomach will explode. It does normally, but it will just explode. <laughs> so, I have yes. to clarify. My mother was incredibly kind and this was several years ago and has not, if Pat, Don't if worry, Pat, Pat listens, she's listening, mom, <laughs> you were amazing you. and you did such a good job and thank you for loving me. But what we learned about Pat is that she felt worried that she wouldn't be able to provide for you what she always had because it was unfamiliar to her on how to cook it without me. It wasn't a negative about Pat, but we learned that Pat got a little bit anxious, like, oh my gosh, now I have to figure out a new way to care for my baby. Right. Right. And that's, that's what I would have done as a mother as well. I would be like, oh my God, what do I do now? So it's not about Pat, but it's about Bevan being able to say like, no, but I'm actually here because I love you more than anything. And I can't wait to have dinner with you. Right. So it's, it's relationships. Like it's not easy though. You know, there are some family structures that are even harder. It's, it's challenging. And I've had it in my own life where my husband likes to eat pasta and meat sauce every night. 
And if he cooked dinner, it's pasta and meat sauce. And he would be very upset when I would come down and be like, well, I'm just going to make something else. And he'd be like, but I just cooked this dinner. Why aren't you eating it? And I'm like, well, because that doesn't make me feel good. And so we had to really talk through. He had to learn how to understand that I'm not doing it because I don't, you know, appreciate it, but like, doesn't make me feel good. So it's, it's hard. I tell Ryan sometimes if I was to eat with you and eat alongside you, even though I literally have the appetite of him, which is scary. He's like, who, how are you eating the same amount? If I ate like him all the time, forget it. I'd be like, it'd be, it'd be crazy. I could never do that for myself. So I, yeah, if I have to eat the salad with a grilled chicken, something like that, and he can eat all the chips and everything else with his meal, then take the chips. I'm good with my salad portion. And I agree. It's a conversation that you have to have because if you don't, you're going to feel sick. There's something amazing, Jamie. I think all of this to me boils down to knowing yourself, understanding your body, learning how to be accountable for yourself, setting your personal boundaries without guilt. It seems like a lot of personal work beyond numbers and nutrients and things like that. First and foremost, what other work outside of all your nutrition and athletic training and all these things? Are You said a therapist earlier. How did you gain such incredible wisdom? And it's a repose and a grace about you that is, that is yeah. firm in where you stand, but also gentle and kind and aware of other people's feelings and sensitivities. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that. Um, I didn't have the skills that I have now when I was 8, 10, 12, 18, 25, 30, they've acquired over time and working, you know, I've been in the field for 15 years. I was first a nutritionist and then I went back to med school because I really wanted to be able to have a bigger scope of being able to help people. And I think just sort of working, I first worked in a really impoverished community of low income um, nutrition, which taught me a lot. And then I worked more in a clinical setting. And then I worked in, in more fitness and health and wellness, and now more in sort of the functional wellness space. So from a professional standpoint, it was about exposing myself to different arenas all over the place so that I didn't be, have just a polarized view of what, of what nutrition was, but from teaching to learning, to trying to do new things, I think professionally, that has been a game changer for me um, in wearing so many different hats that I've learned a lot. You know, people will have very strong opinions, but often we can get those opinions to change when we put them in a different environment. So I think for me, professionally, it's that. Personally, um, it's been through therapy without a doubt. I tell people all the time, therapy is like dating. If you go to therapy and you say it didn't work for you or you didn't like your therapist, did you marry the first person that you ever dated? Probably not. Thank right? God. Like, no. Yeah, right. Like, seriously, it's a working relationship. And sometimes you have to go through a few to find the right one. That's a big part of it for me is really having somebody who guided me to understand what I was feeling versus what I was reacting to. And I think one of the most powerful things that I ever learned from my therapist was describing a scenario where I was like, I'm so mad that this person did this and I'm, and you know, they could do that to me. And she was like, hold on a second they don't have the power to do that. You did that. They did what they did. Your method of receiving it Mm -hmm. and how you feel is what's making this emotion come up. That person has nothing to do with the way that you feel. So can we stop paying attention to everyone else and everything else? And can we start paying attention to how you feel? And for me, that was a pivotal moment in my life because I didn't just do it in that familial situation, but I did it everywhere. And so every single day of my life, I'm like, well, what's actually happening for me here? What am I feeling? We all have a little narcissism in ourselves, every single one of us. Some people have too much, some people have it in a disordered (laughs) way, but we all want to know about ourselves. We all want to learn about ourselves, right? And so for me, it was... But what actually am I feeling here? And why am I angry? And why am I sad? And and what am I trying not to feel? And what am I trying to feel? And that constant question about like, what's underneath this? What's underneath this? I worked with a client about a week ago who came to me from on diet to diet to diet to diet. And after about 30 minutes of our call, I said to her, something's not working here. I can't connect with you. You're giving me who you are based on which diet you've been on. But like, there's nothing here. Nothing is good enough for you. And you feel failed by everything. I can't connect to you. We've got to, we've got to start over. So I stopped asking about her diet. We started talking about her family. We started talking about her life, about dating. And within minutes, 
we were on the idea that she's in a family structure and nothing she does is good enough. And the person she wants to be with isn't accepted by her family. And everything that was happening over there was playing out in her food. And we connected it. She cried a ton. And at the end of it was like, it was a breakthrough moment of where you can't sometimes even see things. So for me, when you ask about how do I have a perspective of all of this, it's taking myself through these phases. It's really trying to figure out what am I feeling here? If I'm reacting to something, or even if it's a client, like if I'm triggered by, you know, I have to understand that this person isn't doing it. It's me. So what's going on here? And, and that's just the way to do it. I mean, I, for me, that's sort of how I've gotten here. I have one more question. I'm here. I'm here. Let's let's get them all. So for people that either, for whatever reason, may it be quarantine, may it be life events, have been out of exercise and healthy eating for an extended amount of time, the idea of dipping back in can feel very overwhelming. How do you suggest someone approach starting? Okay. Some is better than none. And two is better than one and three is better than two, right? So like, where are you now and what can we do different? When people say, I don't have time to exercise, I'm like, well, that's kind of bullshit because you do, you're just not prioritizing it. And that's okay because not everybody needs to, but if you're telling me you want to, but you don't have time, that just means we need to sit down and figure out what you're not prioritizing to make time for exercise. So where we start is changing where we are in the moment. So someone's like, well, I like to run, but I'm too overweight now to run or my joints hurt too much. It's like, okay, well, so then why don't we start with brisk walk or, or, you know, couch to 5k or standing up for 10 minutes of every hour. If there's always this way, unless they're the person who's like, if I don't do it all, if I'm not all in, I can't connect to it. That person might need to be on a Mm -hmm. accountability program where they race with their friends on who has the most exercise minutes. Like what makes you tick? Right. And so in quarantine, I thrived because I'm a little bit of an introvert anyway. And I got to just, you know, do my, my stuff at home. And my husband, who, if you follow me on Instagram, you can see he's very strong and very fit. He didn't thrive. He all of a sudden was like, couldn't work out, had no interest. The kids were distracting. He didn't have a rig to squat on and like two different humans. Right. And it wasn't until he could get out of the house and find a way that he could exercise that. So it was like, he just sat there and I was like, ah, you need to do something. You're in a better mood when you exercise. And and so he had to find a way to get it outside of the house, but it took a few weeks for him to realize like, I got to do something because this doesn't work for me. And so it's just that place of like, where am I stuck? Right. So you have to pivot, pivoting and adaptability in quarantine are huge. If you don't, if you can't go to the store and get the spinach, because it's all out, you might have to eat arugula. That doesn't mean you just give up on the green, right? And if you can't go to Soul Cycle, you might have to pretend to ride a bike at home or take a bike out on the street or run in place or jump rope. Right. I think we get stuck. We get stuck when we feel like we don't have what we're familiar with. And humans do not like to move outside of their familiarity. We like what we like. And if that's not working, we become paralyzed. That's where we get stuck and we don't make change. So like, what can you do that's different? I love it. And also one more aspect of that. It's a ladder, right? Like you don't just go from zero to 100. If you haven't been exercising in quarantine and now you're like, oh, I feel disgusting. And then just start exercising again. You might not be able to pick up where you left off. Right. You have to start small, like baby steps. As a gymnast, I did this recently where I was like, oh, I mean, I've always been able to do a backflip. And then I was like, when did you back up? And I was like, I should rethink this. <laughs> yeah. To really rethink this because I don't, I can't actually do what I used to do. So Brittany and I, I both had that the other day, not like the other day, but it was probably like a couple months ago. And I was like, oh, I've got this. And like the dizziness and yeah. I, I felt sick. I was like, <laughs> like, and I was trying to brush it off to everybody. Like I was fine. I did not feel sick. <laughs> And Ryan's like, are you all right? You're kind of like green and white. I'm like, like, yeah, I haven't exerted my body like that in a really long time where I used to just be able to put my hands up and just go. Man, aging is a real thing. Yes, yes. I think I hurt my back. I hurt everything after that. I was in a lot of pain. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Because that is, yeah, that, that's a perfect example of taking those steps. And it took me, I remember if I was ever out for so long, it took me an entire season to get back of where I wanted to be when I was doing high school, where I was never not in the gym. I used to be in the gym four to five days a week. Mm-hmm. I, I had a social life. I was 
into volleyball, everything. It takes so long. You were into long. boys. You were into boys. Boys, everything. <laughs> yes. My parties. It was the, yeah. Great. Yeah. Time, is, time <laughs> is not forgive me. <laughs> totally. So for those of us that want to get in touch with you, Dr. Jamie, and learn more information, where can our neighbors find you? Probably as much as I crapped on social media like, and told you how it's the worst thing in the world. And now I'm going to tell you to find me there. Yeah. Of that, right? Yeah. And I say that because it's directly connected to my website. So a lot of people of will find me on Instagram. It's just my name. And then there's the link to my website. And if they want to talk, they can always, I do this thing. It's called a discovery call with people. I feel like it's really important to be able to talk to somebody before you work with them. So any person who's ever interested in working with me, we always get on the phone first. There's no fee. There's nothing. We just get on the phone and I learn a little bit about them because like this morning I said to somebody, I was like, I love what you're doing. I'm not the right fit for you. And here's somebody who could be um, because she wanted meal plans. You know, she wanted written out meal plans, what time, what to eat. And that's great. No judgment. That's what she needs to thrive. I don't do that. And then I just put out a lot of, that's not true. I try and put out a lot of content on Instagram, but I'm really bad at social media because I also Same. just have like a gazillion different things going on. And sometimes I just want to hang out with my kids and do handstands. But um, yeah, social media is probably, Instagram is probably the best way because it'll take them into whatever venue they'd like to learn more. Amazing. We cannot thank you enough for sharing all of your knowledge and information. And we are just feel really lucky to have you as a neighbor. And we hope everybody else reaches out and jumps on board with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was super fun. I could talk to you for hours. I know. I've, we might have to have you on again if you're cool with that. I feel like we like barely like skimmed the topic. Thank you ladies so much. It was my pleasure. 